Who is wise? The one who learns from others. Join me on a journey where I speak to Jewish women from all different backgrounds, each sharing their own stories, struggles, and successes. Be a part of a community where you connect to something greater than yourself. I'm your host, Karen Corin, and welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. Hey everyone, welcome to another inspiring episode of Soul Sessions. I'm really excited for you to learn about my next guest. You may know her on Instagram as It's a Learning Life, where she shares her daily musings, hot and interesting topics, and of course, lessons we can get from the Torah and our Jewish tradition. I discovered Chevy Sam's account a year and a half ago, and I couldn't get enough. Her writing really spoke to me because she wasn't sugarcoating anything. She finds creative ways to connect Torah to everyday life. But as we were talking to each other, we discovered that we both worked for Asia Torah around the same time. I was in the York, New York office, and she was working as a campus rebbitzin at Albany. And here we are doing a podcast together about a decade later. Chevy Samet is brilliant, to say the least, but she's also funny and relatable. Today's episode, we will get to know Chevy Samet on a deeper level. But first, a word from our sponsor. Millinery Shop opened 10 years ago when Rachel saw the need for fashionable choices in Jewish women's head coverings. With Rachel's love for fashion and color, it was a no-brainer for her to create her own line of head coverings, thus introducing the Millinery Shop. Every roll of fabric chosen for the season is hand-picked and tested for content, quality, and endurance. Rachel shops around the world for the finest fabrics available, creating new designs in headbands, beanies, and tichels. The perfect cut and fit of each product makes her line of headwear the best place to shop. Go on their web- website, millinaryshop.net, that's M-I-L-L-I-N-E-R-Y dot shop dot net, and use coupon code KK10 for 10% off your next purchase. This is the perfect gift for Hanukkah. And without further ado, I would love to introduce Chevy Samet. Hello, Chevy. Hi. Welcome to Soul Sessions. It's an honor and pleasure to have you on the show. It's really It's important. an honor to be here. Thank you so Thank much. You. See, I just interrupted you. We just started. <laughs> <laughs> I already interrupted you. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. We're going to be interrupting <sighs> each other. So, Chevy, yeah, I don't know if you remember like how we got to know each other on Instagram. I think you were like the first person who followed me. You're the nicest Hello. ever. <laughs> I was. I was like one of the first people who followed you after like Mimo Maxi and Giddy Burger, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) My agent, they're my social media managers, basically. (laughs) I paid them a lot of money to do that, by the way. (gasps) Oh my gosh, I'm kidding. (laughs) I forget that, like, you don't hear, like, you can't see sarcasm in a podcast. I did not pay anyone any money for anything. I definitely, I already know your sarcasm, so I'm just Okay, good. I love it. I absolutely love it. 
Um, but okay, I good. do believe that I was like stalking you because I found your page and I was like, ooh, Torah, content, like education. <laughs> and I was like, oh, everything like flew off. And I was just very, very attracted to your page because you not only brought Torah into your Instagram, but you also made it very real and it resonated with me. So like- Well, Torah is real. What? Yeah. So what'd you say? I said Torah is real. Yeah, exactly. But you also- It's like, a lot more accessible than people think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like that's what resonated with me. And Thank you. Yeah. No, you were so supportive from the very beginning, liking and messaging me. And I was I like, so new to the whole social media thing. Um, and I'm like, there are people on here and they're nice. I mean, I think, I don't know. I, you know, you don't know who's behind the screen. Um, and then it turns out that we actually do kind of know each other. <laughs> exactly. So then I was like stalking you and I'm like, hmm, Samit. I know a Samit, and then we found out that we actually both worked for Asia Torah around the same time. Exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know how many people know that about me, that we, like, I used to be a Kira Rebbiton. Exactly. You were in Albany. It sounds funny to say that. Exactly, yeah. We lived on campus for a year. One year, um, we actually commuted back and forth, and one year we lived in Albany, um, but for two years, we were, I guess, like a campus couple. Really wow, that was a really long time ago. I know, right? <laughs> like a right. lifetime. Yes. It doesn't feel yes. like it, but yeah, it was a long time ago. I don't know. It feels like it to me. Oh my God. <laughs> it feels like a different, like a different life. But yeah, so we actually did kind of, that made me feel better also. Like knowing that I could kind of find these different connections with people. Um, and if you try hard enough, nobody's really a stranger. Um, that was very reassuring. Okay, so you know what, Shabby, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit. Um, a little bit about myself. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe myself. I'm not one of those people who can, like, easily describe themselves. I'm too, like, messy and complicated, you know? Um, but I, like, when people play those, like, games of, like, quick, which one do you prefer, this this one or that one, I always I always prefer the third thing that, like, you didn't <laughs> even offer. Um, but a little bit about myself. So I am a Jewish woman and mother and teacher and college teacher um, in, you know, in no particular order. It depends on the day. Um, and we live in the tri-state area but I'm actually from Montreal. Um, that's why I say Montreal. Mm -hmm. And um, what else? What can I tell? What's interesting? Like, what do people want to know about me? I don't so, know. Yeah. You know, can you tell us how you got into Jewish education, actually? Because I know you said oh. you're, a teacher, you're, a, you're a teacher at a school. Yeah. So it's funny. I could not remember how I got into Jewish education. I actually asked my husband, how did I get into Jewish education? Um, and he was like, well, I don't think you ever really did anything else. And which I realize is true to a certain extent, but I still don't know how I ended up in it. Like, I guess there was a, when I was younger, there was a part of me that wanted to be a teacher, but not like the, the realistic part of me. It was like kind of the more idealistic part of me, like, oh, I'll be a teacher. But I never actually thought that I would be because um, I don't like starving. <laughs> okay. yeah. Yeah. Um, I prefer to like eat food, you know, um, and like live in a warm home. So I just I, like when I was younger, I, it never occurred to me that I could actually be a teacher. And I'm still um, shocked <laughs> that like, you know, I'm almost like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, okay, how long is this going to last for? Um, 
But I think one of the things that really drew me to education um, and to Jewish education specifically, and I started like, you know, from a you know, a practical perspective. Um, I was in college and I took a teaching job on the side. And then, um, you know, when I got married, I moved to Israel. Um, you know, I tutored in a few seminaries and I kind of got involved in different Jewish education type projects. And then I taught in seminaries. And then when we moved back, I was involved, you know, in Jewish education more from an outreach perspective, not yeah. kind of, you know, formal classroom learning. And then when we moved to the Muncie area where we live now, um, I was like offered a job in a school and I just couldn't find a reason not to take it <laughs> um, and then since then I've been you know doing different things um, so that's kind of like practically there were just opportunities that presented themselves one after the other that were all education related mm -hmm. um, but what really kind of drew me to education and made me want for this to be my life um, is the fact that I'm really obsessed with learning mm -hmm. um, it's like almost unhealthy I mean I don't think Sorry? Hence your Instagram name. Hence my Instagram name. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That name came to me in the shower, by the way. <laughs> like all good ideas. Um, and I was shocked that I wasn't taking, I'm like, how did nobody take this name yet? It is the best name ever. But of course, like, I think it's the best name because I'm obsessed with learning. Um, and I know that that sounds like incredibly dorky and I'm so okay with that. Um, and there really is not another profession that I know of that really forces you to um, continue exploring such a wide range of ideas as education. Um, and I've, you know, there are some subjects that I've taught for years and some subjects that I taught only for one year or, you know, that I prepared for, you know, more of like a workshop or a series. And at this point, like when people say, what do you teach? I'm like, I don't know, what do you want me to teach? And it's so exciting because it's like, if you give me a topic that I've never taught before, I get to like fall down this rabbit hole of like new information and you never know what you're going to find. Um, and the other thing that I really, really, I guess, keeps me in education and that I love so much about it, other than of course, you know, like helping people, um, is I think, fine, whatever, um, is the fact that I never really saw myself doing one thing for my entire life. So like at one point I was really, really inclined to go to law school and I actually started studying for the LSATs. I watched way too much SVU <laughs> and like, like, like law and order type shows, you know? Um, and of course, like I'm so dramatic and I love talking and I just assume that all lawyers do all day is like talk, you know, read and talk my two favorite things. Um, and also write. Um, and of course, like, you know, I completely, overlooked how tedious certain parts of actually being a lawyer are. Um, but I couldn't really bring myself to invest so much time and so much money in something because then if I didn't like it, I, I would feel like I was trapped in it. Right. And when it comes to education, there are so many different ways of like expressing different parts of who I am within the same profession that like if next year I wanted to do something totally different, I could I could do it and still call myself an educator. So even now, you know, I really don't teach all that much in, in terms of formal classroom education. It's really, really very minimal. Um, I teach mostly kalas and mostly adult women and, you know, mostly like, you know, shorter series type classes as opposed to, you know, consistently the same subject over and over and over again to large groups, right. um, you know, and if I wanted to do that, I could, I could do that also. That's wonderful. You're showing that being an educator is so multifaceted and it's not just like one type of thing and you're stuck in it. Like once you're an educator, you can't get out. 
you're showing that right exactly yeah I love that you're like I really I really do think that and I really think that you can take the skills that you develop um in education and you can shift them and um you know educate in a different kind of setting or a different subject or a different demographic and you're using the same skill set and it's always interesting because you know it's so much more about the students whoever your students are they can be children they can be adults they can be you know whatever it might be on all different learning levels beginners more advanced Um, and if you make it about them as opposed to about your actual content um, it's so dynamic I mean you can't like no two years are ever going to be the same, even if you're teaching the same subject. That's so true. So true. So I wanted to ask you, you, mm-hmm. you teach mostly Jewish subjects. Am I correct? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's because that's why I just know better. <laughs> and, yeah. And you identify as a Jewish woman, as you said before, you, when, you, when right. you first said a little bit about yourself, you said, I'm a Jewish woman. So, right. No, you I didn't even realize that. <laughs> yeah, you did say that. Um, how okay. do you identify as a Jewish woman? Um, how do I identify as a Jewish woman? Meaning, what is it about me that I think categorizes me as a Jewish woman? Yeah, or what does it mean to be a Jewish woman? Um, okay, so those, I think those are actually kind of two different questions. I think any woman right. yeah. who is, you know, yeah, I think any woman who is, you know, a woman, um, and who has a Jewish neshama is a Jewish woman. Um, you can't, you can't really, you don't have to fit into a certain mold to be a Jewish woman if you are a Jewish woman. And I think that like, that sounds really simple, but I think it's actually a lot deeper than that. I think we have certain notions about, you know, what it means to be a Jewish woman. And if I don't fall perfectly into that expression of what we've come to expect Jewish women to be, then maybe, you know, my femininity is in question or my Jewishness is in question. And it's, it's, it's not like the, the reality is that I am a Jewish woman. Um, and how that's expressed for me personally, I don't know that I can like speak for everybody, but for me personally, it's expressed through the choices that I make and the way I choose to live my life. I think that my daily living is an expression of the fact that I am a Jewish woman. So, you know, like I said before, I think it's kind of two separate questions. There's the expression of it and there's the reality of it. And the reality of it is not something that you really ever need to prove. I don't need to prove to anybody that I'm a Jewish woman. I am right. Um, and how I express it for me personally, you know, how I speak, how I think, how I make choices, how I dress, how I raise my children, how I, you know, how I, anything, um, how I approach my marriage. I think all of those are expressions of being a Jewish woman. Mm -hmm. Do you think that it's something that has to be expressed or can people just live with the reality of it? Like, I know I'm Jewish in my heart. I'm I'm a woman. I'm Jewish. That's it. Or do you feel like it has to be expressed? Um, I don't know that you can really avoid expressing it. I mean, I think that every reality in terms of who we are as people is expressed through how we choose to live our lives. I think kind of what you're getting at is maybe are there like objective parameters that every Jewish woman needs to you know, fall into in order to count as a Jewish woman. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know that I think that that's a hundred percent true. I think, but I don't think that you can escape the expression of the reality. Um, you know, there's always more about me that I'm learning about and uncovering and, 
I'm growing as a Jewish woman. And as I do, of course, my expression evolves, um, you know, but I think when it comes to things, let's say like Jewish law, um, you know, or like halacha, for example, you know, there are certain halachos that are, you know, historically and traditionally um, expressed through the Jewish woman. Um, some women may choose to express those more strongly or less strongly, but I don't know that you can really, if you are a Jewish woman, I don't know that you can not express it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think whatever you do is going to somehow communicate to the world your experience as a Jewish woman, even if it's different from mine. Right, right. No, I get that, but I just feel like maybe there are certain people who they grew up with it and it's right. not something they really think about. It's not right. like intentional. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Right. Yeah. No, I'll hear talk to people say things like this. Or I think I even saw a class advertised something like how to be a Jewish woman. And I was a little bit, I mean, I get what people are, you know, getting at when they say things like that, because, you know, we do have the, you know, Torah standards and Torah parameters for everything including how to be a Jewish man, <laughs> how to be a Jewish wife, how to be a Jewish parent, how to be a Jewish anything. Um, so there's definitely like room to grow within it, but I don't think it's as rigid as we think it is. Right. Um, and I think that the more we accept, you know, the reality of it, I have a Jewish neshama, right? And I am female, therefore I am a Jewish woman. Um, then I can really allow myself to more organically express that as opposed to saying like, oh, look at that person. She seems to be really Jewish and really a woman. So let me try and mimic what she's doing. Right. And it won't be an authentic expression of who I am as a Jewish woman. Now, again, like I'm this, I'm, I, you know, I'm not really referring to like halacha right now because everybody has their own journey, um, you know, within like, you know, how they practice, etc. Um, but I do think it's important to really like respect and acknowledge that um, somebody can be an entirely different personality from me and still be extremely valid as a Jewish woman. So I think that like, like, I think this comes up a lot, let's say, with, like, motherhood or in marriage, for example. We right. see those two things as, like, really intense expressions of Jewish femininity. Um, but a woman who is Jewish, who is not yet married or, or, and, you know, or does not yet have children, or maybe that's not in the plans for her at all, um, she's not less of a Jewish woman. Mm. And I think we need to, like, make you know, we need to make room for all of that. I think when we have such a rigid and such a narrow perspective on what being a Jewish woman is, um, we exclude people who we could really learn a tremendous amount from. Um, and also we kind of, yeah, I mean, those people themselves see themselves as less than and othered and like, it's right. so, it's so unnecessary. Right. Right. Do you believe that like marriage and motherhood particularly is for every Jewish woman? Like, is it a must? <laughs> I know that's so, a <laughs> yeah, wow, Karen, we, we wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I'm gonna say it like this. This is something that I actually say often and it's pretty nuanced, but I think that, you know, I, I have faith in your audience. Okay. I think that sometimes we think that um, the way that we express ourselves as Jewish women is by getting married and having children. Now, I mean, obviously, everybody clarify with your own rabbi, but 
technically women do not have a, a halachic obligation to get married. I'm not that it's not a mitzvah, but they don't have the chiyav, they don't have the obligation to get married, nor do they have the obligation to have children. Now, a lot of people would say that the reason that they don't have that obligation is because it's a natural expression of who they are. But putting that aside, I think it is important to recognize that um, a man is commanded to get married and to make, you know, significant effort in that direction, whereas a woman doesn't have a parallel obligation. Um, if a woman doesn't want to get married, according to her, she doesn't have to. Um, so I think that sometimes we think that like, okay, that's the way to express our femininity and I think, um, and our Judaism. And I think that maybe a slightly healthier, um, perspective would be something along the lines of, um, if this is my circumstance, I can find a way to express myself within it. So like a lot of times we say, oh, this is the right way to be a mother. This is the right, right way to be a Jewish woman. This is the right way to be a wife, right? And then we kind of try and shove ourselves into that box yeah. as opposed to saying, wait, this is who I am and this is the role. How can I take who I am um, and, you know, just find meaning within the role as opposed to expecting motherhood to fulfill me? Do you, does that that make sense? Like, yeah. I think a lot of times people say like, oh, when I get married and when I have children, I'll be fulfilled because that's what Jewish women do. Um, and then it's a really harsh, you know, awakening, a reality check when you find yourself in that stage in life and you're like, okay, not feeling yeah. super fulfilled right now. Um, and I think that, you know, we need to kind of take ownership and take responsibility a little bit more and say, okay, these are the circumstances and every woman in her own way can find meaning in these rules, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're inherently meaningful to every woman the way that they're practiced, you know, universally. For sure. For sure. You know, I just get the sense that very often there's single girls who, you know, it's their time, they have to get married and What's common is that they think that they need to do more religious things in order mm -hmm. to attract a potential mate to get to their, you know, the end of the line. You know what I'm saying? Um, but then once they get married, you see certain girls that they're not as quote unquote religious that they mm -hmm. used to be when they were single. So like, Right. So you mean like an like an external like like their their observance is more external because that kind of puts them in the right category or you know like attracts the right person, but it's like skin deep. It's not really who they are. Yeah, or they feel like they must be doing challah baking every week, or they have to recite to him every week in order to get right. to this goal. Um, and then once they have it, they're like, oh, okay. Like, this is not what it's cut out to be. And right. That, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in general we have, like, you know, we really struggle with this as a community that we've boiled everything down to, like, the lowest common denominator. Yeah. Um, everything is all about, like, the ultimate expression of it, you know. Um, and it's a really diluted kind of Judaism, unfortunately, um, and it really ends up missing out on a lot of the depth and a lot of the richness um, and a lot of the personal development and betterment that we can access when we approach these practices with all of the intention um, that we're meant to, you know, inject in them. So, yeah, I do see that a lot. A lot of people going through the motions, you know, it's like kind of like, 
I don't know, a certain amount of like scula, um, I don't know, I don't know the right word, but it kind of creates like um, a hysteria. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like I can't think of a better word, Um, you know, and, and the truth is that what all of these different practices are really supposed to do um, or, you know, are that what the, the intention behind them is to ultimately influence who we are and our development as people. So it's not like, oh, if I do this or if I say this for X amount of days, then I'm somehow, you know, like unlocking the door or, you know, it's like a magic trick. It's, oh, if I do this and I say this for a certain amount of tra- time, um, the hope is that I am transforming myself into the type of person who is now not just deserving, but also like in a position where I can um, actually becoming that identify. Right, exactly. And I can identify this blessing or I can recognize that this is, you know, what I need. And, you know, so it's not, it's not like this vending machine of like, oh, I put in the school and then I get the bracha that I want, but it's through the process of, you know, whatever it might be, um, I'm changing as a person. And that changed person is now in a position where they can accept whatever gift, you know, Hashem wants to send them. And I think that that, nu- that nuance is sometimes a little bit lost. Um, and I think it's a shame because, yeah, what does happen is that, you know, so we have the expression of something, but we don't really have the, like, background or the understanding of it. And then it doesn't necessarily you know, create the lasting change that we, that, that we're looking for. And in general, by the way, when I say like lasting change, nothing is ever like finite or guaranteed. Um, certainly not personal growth and development. So the fact that, you know, oh, when I was a teenager, I worked on X, Y, Z and I, you know, reached a certain place of like, whatever it might be, you know, um, either in my understanding or my, in my relationship with Hashem, whatever it is, that's not guaranteed to me forever just because I struggled for it then. Exactly. Right? Like I can't, like there, there are no guarantees. Everything has to be maintained. Um, and as we know, the maintenance is really, you know, kind of the hardest part. Um, but yeah, so I think that's an important point also that people will fluctuate in their growth and it doesn't have to be this big, bad, scary thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. For sure. I just think that sometimes women, they want to get married because they think it's like the panacea. Is that how you say it? Panacea? You know, I'm not good at Panacea? Panacea. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what you're trying to say. <laughs> okay, the cure. Finish your, finish your sentence and I'll, and I'll, you know, I'll insert the word. <laughs> okay, fine. So they think it's like the cure to whatever ailment they're going through. Um, right. But do you feel that women today, Jewish women, are prepared for for marriage, for a Jewish marriage, mm. and then if that they're prepared to be a mother? Do do they need to be prepared for this type of role, or is this something that just comes and you experience it, and it just comes to you? You use your intuition. You know what oh, is a little bit. This of is like a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, the short answer is, 
Yeah, the short answer, I think, is, is that it really depends. Like, you're a college teacher. I'm a college teacher. So we, you know, we encounter women as they're, you know, at the threshold of this life transition. And we see some of them seem better equipped um, and prepared, and some of them are less so. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, the environment that they were raised in. Um, parents can take a tremendous amount of credit. Whenever a mother thanks me for teaching her daughter, I always make sure to point out to her that I could only teach like what she gave me. Do you know what I'm saying? So like yeah. if you gave me a quality product to begin with in terms of your daughter, um, yeah. So of course, you know, between the two of us, we, we were able to really like get her to the point where she's, you know, like well prepared for marriage. Um, but if you give me, you know, a really kind of not such ideal product. And I, obviously I don't mean that, you know, like people aren't products yeah. <laughs> and we don't rank them. Um, but in terms of her preparedness, you know, so I can be teaching her, but if I see that she's kind of, you know, she's a little bit self-absorbed, not a little bit, everyone's a little bit self-absorbed, but a lot self-absorbed and doesn't really have the right perspective on marriage and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so of course she's going to be a lot harder to teach. So I think that, you know, the, there's, there's a lot of context to that question. Um, this, I really think that a lot of people are dating without having a thorough or not even, or forget thorough, basic understanding of why we even have the construct of marriage to begin with. Why is marriage a mitzvah? Why did Hashem tell us to get married? Um, right? Like, why did Adam want to get married? Why did he want a partner? Why did he want a wife? And I think that those are um, really fundamental, crucial understandings that people need to have before they even start dating. That's my personal feeling. Um, or that, you know, even if it's not a necessity, um, when when people approach, when young adults approach their dating with, you know, a, a, a real Torah perspective on what they're trying to accomplish, um, it just, it makes it so much easier. Like if you go grocery shopping and you know what you're making for dinner, you're like, okay, I need this and this and this and this. Right. As opposed to I'm going grocery shopping and like, oh, like, well, let's see, you know, I'll know it when I see it <laughs> right. kind of a thing. Now, obviously, like, you know, you don't have to have it perfectly planned out. You know, you know, you want like a protein and, you know, you want a vegetable and you can go and you can kind of see like, you know, what appeals to you. That's fine. Um, but to have like zero concept of of, you know, nutrition or zero, you know, you don't even know how to feed yourself. You don't even know what food is. And then you go grocery shopping and you expect to put together a meal. Um, that that's kind of an unfair expectation. You are going to really be fumbling a lot through that experience. Mm -hmm. um, I recently just had a, you know, a gathering with a bunch of my students, graduates who are basically all dating um, and have been for a couple of years. Like, you know, they, they, these aren't girls who graduated women, sorry, who graduated, you know, this past June, they've been dating. Um, and I asked them, you know, why do we get married? And I, they were like these blank stares. And I'm like, don't you think we should be thinking about this before we go like looking for something? You're looking for a partner, but you don't even know what you're partnering in. Um, so I definitely think that in terms of, you know, our education, we could do a little bit better to fill in the blanks. And even if, even if, you know, men and women don't have a perfect, you know, grasp or understanding, um, you know, if they have, you know, healthy models of that relationship, right. you know, they can to a certain degree, like intuit, like, oh yeah, this, this feels right. Or this doesn't feel right. Um, not that, you know, obviously if somebody doesn't have those, um, you know, those role models in their immediate family, that's not like, you know, they're not doomed. <laughs> right. Like, like there are definitely ways to compensate. Like what about people who 
don't have a Jewish education, um, right. who don't have the ideal environment, and all of a sudden, you know, they want to start dating, and they're they're lost. Like they don't even know right. where to look, why why they're getting married, what to do. What would you advise right. people like that? So I, w- I would advise really delving into why we have marriage as a Jewish construct, you know, and it is fundamental to, um, you know, a, a Jewish lifestyle, not just because, and I always tell my students, why do we get married? And if you say to have children, like, I'm sending you flying. <laughs> I can't promise I won't smack you, <laughs> you know, like, um, and because I think that we've, again, Everything has been like lower to the commonest denominator, like the lowest common denominator. I'm like losing my words. Um, so we look at, we, you know, we look at kind of the cultural and societal um, structure of marriage and we assume that that's the purpose. Now, there are a lot of expressions of marriage, you know, like, yes, you know, a healthy relationship can be an ideal, you know, scenario for raising children and raising the next generation. Yes. And we do believe that investing in the next generation is important. Um, that's not the reason, the, the fundamental reason that we get married. It's, it's one of the expressions of a healthy marriage, right? So I think that like when we don't have that, um, like thorough understanding, we look at the expressions of something and we can assume that that's why we do it to begin with. But that's like saying you bake a cake in order to ice it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's, a, that's not, like, no, like, yes, an ice, like, an ice cake looks nicer than a not ice cake, then it can be an enhancement or a setup, but that's not why you bake the cake. Like, why did you even bake the cake? Um, so I definitely think that somebody who is, you know, floundering in their understanding, um, it would be really helpful for them to explore those ideas from a, from a Torah perspective. Um, you know, going back to like what you said earlier, yes, a person's intuition is really important. Hashem gave all of us intuition, but he also gave us blind spots and he also gave us, um, you know, like every person has different areas where, you know, their perspective is limited. Um, so relying on intuition alone, um, or especially like an undeveloped intuition, you know, um, you can develop your intuition over time, you know, to be the kind of, um, just, you know, more insightful, you can hone your insight. It's not something I, personally believe that people are either born with or born without like yes some people are more or less intuitive by nature but I do think it's something that you can develop and I think that Torah study and you know and I don't necessarily mean when you say that you think of like an old man like hunched over you know Um, but I think just like exposing yourself to Torah ideas is really what hones your what hones your intuition so if somebody feels like they don't you know they're they're lacking in their understanding it's accessible to everybody we live in a day and age where Torah has never been more accessible. It's like mind boggling. Everywhere. Um, While you're like washing dishes. Everywhere. There is so much to listen to and so much. It's just so, so, so accessible. Now, sometimes, you know, there's a downside to that. Some people can kind of, you know, uh, they're, they're under the impression or there's, a, there's an illusion of, you know, education that might not be really thorough. You know, we're kind of snacking on Torah all day long. So you we feel like a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do. Because I think it's a really important, I think it's a really important thing to recognize, you know, um, that just because, you know, you have like an introductory um 
you know, knowledge of something doesn't mean that you're now a scholar. Yes. <laughs> um, and I think that this access is one of the best things that has happened to us as a community, but it's also fooled us into thinking that we're a lot more scholarly than we are. So I do, you know, caution people to be careful around that. Um, but somebody who feels like they're lacking in a certain area of their Jewish education, I mean, I don't know. I, I can't believe there isn't a resource out there, even if it's not the best one. We still have work to do, but I feel like it, you know, yeah, it's at our fingertips. Literally, not fingertips. To be Denver, not to be like this, like, wah, wah, but like, <laughs> I just feel like there's certain people that don't even realize that they need to dive into this. Meaning like, there's right. been... Like what? I don't need. It. I don't need to do that. Like I'm good. Right. I just like, right. I just want to find someone I I love and like I care about and like that's it. It's all good. Right. 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 And you know what the truth is? The truth is that not everybody is like the deepest or the most you know intense. And it's not. It's not a. It's not necessary. You yeah. know, you take two Jewish souls. Um. You know, and they come together in marriage. That's fundamentally holy and fundamentally spiritual, whether or not they recognize it and they express it, you know, on a daily basis or not. So I think that's also really important to recognize that when it comes to like a lot of these Torah ideas, yes, kavana is important and our intention is important and it can, you know, infusing everything with like, you know, the right motivations. Sure, it can be an enhancement, but it also shouldn't like, you know, inhibit us to the point where we're like, oh, if I can't fully appreciate why does that? No, that's why Hashem gave us, you know, that's why we connect on multiple levels. We connect emotionally and intellectually and spiritually and physically yeah. because all of those connections serve a purpose. So, you know, the fact that we don't feel a deep spiritual connection with other people, it's okay it doesn't mean that it's not there exactly for sure and you can find other ways to connect to them absolutely absolutely yeah so what would you say is the secret to like loving other people who don't think or do the same thing as you when it comes to religion I don't think it's a secret. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's a secret I just think it's something that some people kind of really struggle with um, yeah. it, I think it requires a certain amount of humility. Yeah. Um, I think that what really holds us back from, um, not just loving every person, but respecting every person. I think we struggle more with respect than love, yeah. you know, cause there's a lot of like, I love you, but mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. um, or like, you know, with all due respect and you're like, Hey, there's no respect due at all. <laughs> um, so I, I think that, um, a lot of people really struggle with recognizing or with what they see as I'm trying to be like delicate because I don't want to offend anybody, you know, like I don't want anybody to hear this and think that I'm like, you know, uh, I don't want to be actually, no, I could be a little harsh, right? No, it's okay. You can yeah. Say it. You're giving me permission. Okay. Fine. Um, so I'm not speaking to any individual out there, but if this resonates with you, I would ask you, you know, to, curiously approach like you know question wh why why does this hit you so hard yes. we are um obsessed with constantly validating our choices so that means that if you know i do something right let's say it's 
you know, we're talking about religious observance here, right, and, and practice. So if I've decided, you know, I've learned something that this is halacha and I've decided to incorporate this into my daily life. And then there's another person who seems flippant about it or, you know, for whatever reason, they've come to the conclusion that it's not a necessary expression of their Judaism. All of a sudden, we feel like we're under attack. Wait. But, you know, I need everyone around me to validate my choice. Mm -hmm. Either they're going to validate my choice by agreeing with me or they're going to validate my choice by being a foil to my choice right and i'm going to look at them and say oh i do this they don't but look look at look at how i am compared to how they are right and we're looking externally as opposed to looking internally um when it comes to like just you know a sense of validation or um you know even like approving of our own selves when other people's actions are you don't see them as a reflection of, you know, the worth of your choices or your actions, it becomes significantly easier to respect them. Because whether Wait, or not you agree with them yeah, or you I don't. I don't get that. Sorry. Wait, that. repeat what again? I forgot what I said. It came out of my mouth. It's gone. <laughs> that was so good. But I just like internalized. Um, I think what I was saying was that when we stop looking at other people's actions mm-hmm. and, you know, choices, as like a validation of ours, mm. it becomes much easier to respect them. Got it. Because their action, like it doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with me. So let's say they've made a choice and let's say that's a choice that I wouldn't make for my own self. Why do I need to go through the profit, through the whole process now of like, like the mental gymnastics of, Oh wait, they, they decided that that's not necessary, but I know for myself that it is necessary. Okay. How am I going to, how am I going to justify this? Like I have to resolve this. It feels like a conflict that needs to be resolved. It's not a conflict that needs to be resolved. It has nothing to do with you. Um, and I think when you do that, and at the same time, you're also looking for and amplifying the common ground that you have with that person, um, it becomes infinitely easier to respect them. I don't know. We talk a lot about loving other people. I don't know that we struggle with love as much as we struggle with respect. Wow. You know, like, and I think, and I think that it's the lack of respect that causes us to really judge so much. That's so true. You know, um, I I see this a lot with family members. Almost everybody will say, like, of course I love my family. Yeah. Um, But we just can't have a relationship because, you know, X, Y, Z. I know, like, we've talked about this. Not all of my siblings are religious. Not all of them are orthodox or, you know, practicing in their Judaism the same way I am. Um, And yet we all are pretty close. I mean, they have not made an appearance on my Insta stories in a while. But whenever they do, I literally get, like, the most engagement ever. I'm like, okay. Guys, I'm flying you in because things have been a little dead on the gram and <laughs> we need a revival. So, like, we need, like, a sibling reunion or something to, like, spice things up. And people love it. And I get so many questions and so much curiosity of, like, how do you do this and how do you navigate this? Um, look, full disclosure, it's not easy. What I'm saying and what I'm, you know, what I'm presenting here is not, it's not an easy thing because it requires, like I started off saying, a tremendous amount of humility. Right. And we think that if we open up the possibility for another person's choice to be a valid expression of who they are or a valid choice for them, what we're saying is like we're undermining the, vid- the validity of our choice as if there's only one. Got it. Wow. 
you know, um, and I think sometimes, you know, people love saying things like, there were 12 Shvatim. If you look around at the Jewish community today and count how many, quote unquote, acceptable forms of Judaism they are to the, you know, exist to the average Orthodox Jew, there are less than 12. <laughs> I mean, like, if you, like, think about it. Think about it honestly. You're like, okay, this is an okay version and this is an okay version. And, and what do you have, like five or six? Mm. But there were 12. Right. So if you can't come up with 12 in today's day and age, um, I think that you need to broaden your horizons a little bit. And again, like it's a judgment thing. It's not a love thing, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really have anything to do with you. The other thing that I think is super, super, super important, because this is always kind of the like the feedback and the pushback that I get when I say this right. is that right. people will say, like, but isn't there a right or a wrong? Isn't there like, you know, we do, if you are a practicing Jew and you believe that halacha is what is supposed to, you know, really um, inform your life and your decision, isn't there a right or a wrong? And so sometimes I think that the right or the wrong is broader than we, than we let it, you know, than we give it credit for. That's point number one. Point number two is that when you see something that resonates with you as contrary to what the Torah would, you know, project as the right choice. You can, you can tell your own self, meaning you can take that awareness and direct it inwards and say, that's not a choice that I would make because that doesn't resonate with my values. We don't always have to call everybody out on it, right? It's like, oh, but if they're doing something wrong and then I have a relationship with them and then, you know, and, or, or other people see that I'm close to this person, then they're going to say, they're going to think what? Mm. Like, so like what? It does it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you, yeah. right? Like it's not we really, really, really have to like stop just this all mixed up together that like another person's choices are somehow like mixed in with mine. Right. Right. That it defines you in a way. Right. Exactly. Like, oh, so now, so am am I saying it's okay? Like, am I somehow like approving of that person? Like, why do we even have to go there? Got it. Why, why is that even part of our experience as a person? Um, and I do get questions like this a lot, either about my siblings or about friends that I have. A very, I have a very diverse um, group of friends, um, which I'm proud of, by the way. And, I uh, you know, once in a while, people will ask me, like, hey, but how can you be friends with that person? Don't you know that she X, Y, Z? And I'm thinking to myself, I know way better than you know what she does. Um, and I've chosen to not let that influence the That's relationship beautiful. that we have. That, that's a choice that you can make. You know, you, you know, you can choose that, right? Yeah. yeah. The same way we, you know, I'm saying like the same way we choose to accept or overlook any number of things in our own selves um, or in the people that we love and we're close to. Yeah. We can do that with almost anybody. To choose what we no, to, to choose, yeah, to choose what we accept in another person, to choose what we, you know, what we'll overlook in another person and to recognize that people are significantly greater than, you know, let's say the one or two or three choices that they make that we don't agree with. That's so true. And you know what? There's this quote, you probably saw it going around. Um, it's, what was the quote again? Ugh. Oh, don't judge people who sin differently than you. That one? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So I'll tell you, I do like it. But then on the other hand, there's a part of me that reads a quote like that and is like, 
but why do you even have to assess their sins, that mm-hmm. they're different from yours, that they're similar from yours? Their sins are none of your business. <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? Like, it's just none of your business how they sin. If it's different from you, it's the same as you. Maybe it's the exact same as you, but you're just better at hiding it than they are. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I just, I just, I choose to not really focus on those things because, I, I mean, I don't think that you can learn from a from a person if you're always, like, othering their experience you know? And it's like, oh, well, you know, I really want to learn from this person, but you know, there's this and that about them that like, I'm just not okay with. Like, why why are we limiting, (laughs) you know, what we can learn and what we can gain from other people? Right. You know what I also see? Like, if someone is struggling with something, whether it's a religious practice or something with their mido, they will feel validated for their, you know, quote unquote sin. If they see someone who is quote unquote better than them or more religious than them have that same weakness, then like, oh, okay, she's like that, so I'm good. I'm fine. Right. Right. Exactly. And again, it's this need to use everybody else as like the barometer for who we are. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's so interesting. Just today, actually, somebody was telling me about, you know, something challenging that they were experiencing. And it was really tough, you know, what she was expressing to me. And then she said to me, am I normal? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, sure. I don't, I, I don't know. Like, how do I know that I'm normal? <laughs> I like yeah. every day more and more. And I'm like, pretty sure I'm not normal. But, um, but I, you know, so what I said to her was like, you know, I, 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 it seems really important to you. Um, to like know that your challenge as difficult as, and intense as and extreme as it is, doesn't like separate you from like the community or like from, you know what I'm saying? Or from your peer group or whatever it is. You want to feel like, you know, you're still centrist to a certain extent, right? Nobody wants to feel like they're on a fr- on the fringe of anything, um, you know, unless, unless you, unless you do. Um, and then of course, but then, you know, you're, you're, you want to be on the fringe, but like in good company with everybody else who's also on the fringe. So it's just like a subgroup, you know? Um, but it was like, and so she's like, okay, let me, let me like, you know, rephrase that. I guess I just want to know if other people who are going through the challenges that I'm going through, if their reactions are as extreme as mine. And it was like this intense need to have her feelings and her responses validated. And I totally get it because I think it's such a human reaction. But I think that, you know, if we can minimize that like a little bit, and obviously we're human beings and there's no such, you know, when people are like, oh, you know, I I like, you know, this doesn't bother me. It bothers everyone else, but it doesn't bother me. I'm like, what? No, that's not possible. Sorry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I don't like, I I just, I'm sorry. I just like completely discredit everything else that I ever heard you say because I just, to me, doesn't feel possible, you know, um, or at least not relatable. Um, but there is a need to know that we somehow, you know, okay, but compared to everyone else, where do I stand? Um, and I think that sometimes that can actually, it's, it, that can be something that's not terrible, meaning that I think that as, you know, a Jewish community, that like collectiveness has really kept us, um, a community for as long as we have been. Like when you think about, you know, generations of people who were not educated and were not literate in their Judaism and still, you know, maintained a connection to a Torah lifestyle, what enabled that 
was our strong sense of community and the, these cultural norms, right, that nowadays we're all annoyed about, right, because we love being unique and individual. So mm -hmm. I think we need to kind of like respect that a little bit and recognize the benefit in it, while at the same time recognizing that it doesn't really matter what everybody else's experience is and it doesn't really matter, um, you know, what choices other people make because we're only responsible for us. Like this is something I tell my kids all the time. Like let's say, I don't know, we're cleaning up the toy room, right? So the first thing that my kids always do is they look around and they're like, he's not cleaning up and yeah. he's not cleaning up and they're not cleaning up. And of course, my like broken telephone, the broken record over here is always like, don't look at what and you still have to fulfill your responsibility. You're in charge of the magnet tiles. I don't care that he's not doing the Legos. Your job is magnet tiles. But immediately, right, like people like. How, I, do, I, not one of my kids will just keep their head down and fulfill their job and when they're done look up and go oh that person didn't you know clean up the legos but that's okay because i was in charge of magnetiles and i did magnetiles no <laughs> they don't do that human nature is to be like why should i do the magnetiles if he's not doing the legos and it's like so incredibly frustrating and sometimes i think like hashem is looking at us and going like ugh why can't everybody just keep their head, like their eyes on their own page? <laughs> you know, like I didn't give you that job. I didn't give you that, you know, but, but we do that. We, we have to look at everybody else to justify, you know, what we are doing, what we're not doing. Right. And I just, I feel like people who are really, what, I'm, what am I trying to say? Where they devote themselves to Torah learning and they really commit themselves to learning and growing and personal development. And of course it goes up and down, but when you commit yourself to that lifestyle, it's you're, you're more likely to keep your eye on your own paper, you know, not to look at other people. I just right. feel like it's a discipline. It disciplines right. you. Yeah, it's discipline. And I also think um, the more you know um, about you know, Torah and a Torah lifestyle, and the more you know yourself, um, the less, like, you kind of develop a confidence, the less necessary it is to look at everybody else. Or even if you do accidentally, you know, like, your eyes just kind of, like, slip and look at the other person, you can, you, you know, you can, like, redirect and you can recenter yourself and be like, wait, no, not where I'm supposed to be looking. Because you know what's important. And the Torah speaks about right. this so often. Right. Like, you know, one of my father's, one, one of my favorite stories that my father used to tell us, I think it was like in a high school biology class. So, you know, my father is a doctor and he's also kind of like smart. So he, um, there was, I think one of the questions was that they had to, they had to draw, um, I think it was maybe was like the digestive system or something. They had to draw the different systems, you know, and I'm not a science person, but like, I'm assuming like esophagus okay. <laughs> or whatever. They had to like draw, you know, that whole thing. Um, so, you know, my father did it really quickly and then he turned over his paper and he started drawing this like imaginary something nervous system or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And, um, the person sitting next to him, um, was this girl, um, one of his classmates and came over to him afterwards and was like, Oh, you know, thank you so much because like, I really couldn't remember anything. And then, you know, I looked over at your paper in the middle and I saw that you had like this really clear diagram and I was able to copy the entire thing. And my father just looked at her and was like, you idiot. <laughs> like that was like my imaginary version of, you know, the vestibular system. And like, 
exactly. And I think of that so often. I mean, it's like a true anecdote, but um, I love when these things happen to people in my family and then I just like steal their anecdotes and I'm like, this is a great mushel for life. Um, But we do that so often. We do that like, oh, I looked over at you and I saw that you were doing that. And like, you looked like, you know, really confident and you knew what you were doing. And like, he made the whole thing up. He was just doing it for fun. It wasn't even real. You know, it wasn't really, it wasn't even anything. Um, And, you know, she just put like all of her confidence in my father's imagination. Like, how ridiculous. I can't even imagine how stupid she felt when she, you know, when she found out what she had done. Um, And I think that so many of us do that, like, all the time, every day. All the time. So, Shabby, can you tell us, like, some of your hopes and dreams for the world? (laughs) (laughs) Just some. I know, it's like, like, just some. Um, Based on, like, everything we're talking about and I mean, I just hope, my real hope, my real bracha really for every person is that they develop like the inner core and the confidence to be able to accept differences in other people, in other communities, um, and to not feel this sense of, you know, oh, who I am is, is you know, has to be defined juxtaposed to who that other person is. I just think that we would be so much happier and we'll be so much more fulfilled and we would be so much more connected, you know, to Hashem and to ourselves and to other people if we just broadened our parameters of what we consider acceptable. Um, you know, like the Torah's parameters of acceptable are pretty broad. I think that sometimes people forget that we've like narrowed things even more than the Torah has. Um, and like, why, (laughs) you know, like we get like firmer than Torah and it's like, why? Um, so that is really, I think, you know, a very, that's a huge hope and dream of mine. Um, and you know, I really think that it will lead to Mashiach. I mean, I have other hopes and dreams, but yeah. they're like, you know, less lofty. <laughs> Beautiful. I'm into your book. I really hope that could happen. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so, too. Maybe you'll I'll start be. the process by people listening to this podcast. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Did it even make any sense? I feel like I was all over the place. No, I loved it. I love okay. it. Okay. <laughs> if it made sense to you, then hopefully it'll make sense to whoever else is listening to it. Yes. So, Shabby, can you tell us where people can find you? Where they can find me? Yeah. <laughs> they want to reach you. You mean, like, in my, <laughs> like, where I usually am? <laughs> no, like, how can someone... In my car. <laughs> I'm always in my car. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, like, if they want to reach me. Like, if people want to reach me? Exactly. Okay. Um, well, if they have Instagram, then they can follow um, It's a Learning Life. Or they don't have to follow it. They could totally lurk. I'm fine with that. Like, no problem. Um, you could secretly follow me. Um, uh, it's it's a learning life. All one word. It's a learning life. Um, I don't know. Do they want? Do you want my phone number? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. They'll know. You can. You yeah. They can get in touch with you, and you'll put us. And you'll 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 put us in touch. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, thank you so much, Javi, for being on the show and for sharing your wisdom, your advice, and everything about yourself and your humor. You made me. Thank laugh. you so much for having me. I really thank appreciate you it. For being here. Thank you. 
you enjoy this podcast and you want to hear more soul sessions, you can go on SinaiRadio.com or type in Sinai Radio on all major podcast players and you can see a whole bunch of other soul sessions. And if you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at SoulTrainKK. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.